0: Hello and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host Aditi Koti. let's get on with the show. Deepika Mulchandani, thank you so much for joining us on Reloscopes, the Relationship Science Insights podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm very happy and excited to be here and talking to you. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you too. Um, now, you are a somatic and transgenerational, my bad, uh, trauma psychotherapist. That's a mouthful, actually. Um, <laughs> as well as a sexual and relationship uh, therapist. And you're also a blogger. You write about sexuality and also recovering from trauma from an Eastern and Asian lens, which I'm very excited about, personally. Um, and you also recently... Uh, you also have a practice called uh, the Open Connection for psychosomatic therapy. Um, is that everything? Have I have I covered everything that you're working
1: on? <laughs> uh, pretty much, yes. <clears throat> I think I would add uh, uh, a little bit more about the Open Connections, which is somatic recovery but also relationship
0: care, mm-hmm.
1: because I think it's very interlinked our body and our relationship quality. So, yep, basically the two things together. Otherwise, you're great. <laughs>
0: Almost there, almost had it. (laughs) Well, that's kind of your bio. But uh, before we kind of dive into our episode today, which is going to be about possessiveness in romantic relationships, um, we want to get to know you, um, Mm. our guest, a little bit more. We've got a segment called Mm -hmm. Have You Met Deepika Mulchandani? Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just throw some really quick questions at you and you just have to answer the first thing that comes to your head. Don't have to think too hard. Are you ready? Yes. Fantastic. Uh, what is your favorite book? Wow.
1: Uh, Little Women is the one that comes to
0: mind. Oh, yeah. That's because it f- changed
1: my perspective a lot. As that's, a young person.
0: That's but a yeah. favorite of mine too. And I, I love almost every single movie adaptation that they've made of it as well. It's so, so yeah. precious to me. Uh, what about your favorite movie?
1: Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite movie, but I've been recently very captivated by this uh, series on Netflix called She. It's again from a South Asian lens, and I'm very interested in how they tackle the subject of uh, women empowerment. Yeah. <laughs> that's and all. That's okay. my cat.
0: <laughs> uh, we always love a cat um, oh. joining in on the podcast, for sure. <laughs> oh,
1: little thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely um so yeah um she is a show I've heard about but haven't caught yet so maybe I might check that out um I know my parents have watched it and they they found it really interesting so yeah um what about a favorite podcast or a podcast that you're really into right now mm-hmm. I think being a relationship person Esther Perel is someone who's been very mm-hmm. interesting to follow so mm-hmm.
1: where should we begin among others is something that I tune into quite regularly yeah yeah to check in on what she's talking about. Very different lens, but very interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah, Esther Perel has been a favorite of a lot of our guests. <laughs> I think she's she's done some incredible work. Uh, what about yeah. a famous role model or someone that you look up to?
1: Okay, wow. this one, I don't know if it's famous, it may not be the word, but I've had a very large uh, group of very empowered women across my life. I think every single one of them, has uh, brought very different elements of uh, what it means to be an Asian woman in this world today. So very interesting um, uh, experiences with every single one of them. So I think of them as role model. Yeah. Any, any
0: names or shout outs for some of these women?
1: Ah, sure. There's, uh, she's a Polish woman who's based in Melbourne, actually. Her name is Dr. Sophie Holmes. She's still very much a mentor. Uh, And someone I talked to, she's very senior in the field of family therapy uh, in Australia as well. So yeah, her shout out to her. if She's listening. (laughs) I (laughs) hope (laughs)
0: hope she's. I hope she's listening to the show, and I hope she apprec. I'm sure she would appreciate it when she does. Um, What about the last course that you completed?
1: Oh, it would be trauma informed yoga. So I did the teacher's training, but this is a trauma informed course, which is still yoga but it kind of works very it's facilitated very differently Mm -hmm. and to facilitate recovery somatic recovery pretty much
0: yeah wow that's really cool (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. awesome um that brings us to the end of the segment uh Deepika you are known (laughs) we've gotten to know you (laughs) uh and we might move on uh to our main part of the podcast um in which we talk about possessiveness uh specifically possessiveness in romantic relationships um i'm sure this is a topic that a lot of people have a lot to say and a lot of thoughts on um but before we kind of get deeper into that how what do you consider to be a relationship how would you describe a relationship
1: Wow. I think it's actually in many ways like a dance in how I conceptualize it because it's two people and it's a constant state of movement. Uh, You know, and seeing relationship as just a singular, like, oh, I'm choosing someone or is this person right for me? I think doesn't capture the nuance and beauty of relationship. So dance is because there is a movement. And if I do this, you will change and adjust to me. And if you do that, I will change and adjust to you. And then we are in a constant state of flow or not flow, depending on how it goes. But either way, I think it's very much uh, the relationality of it, right? The, the fact that we can influence each other in a movement is how I would think about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: maybe mm-hmm. because I dance too. So that comes very naturally as a concept.
0: Yeah. What, kind of, what kind of dance do you do?
1: Uh, I used to do uh, salsa quite a bit. Uh, and then I'm actually a professional belly dance teacher, Aditi. And oh. I, but I do it in the embodying way too now because it's just more interesting for me, uh, oh. helping people recover safety in the body through belly dancing for women specifically at the moment. Yeah,
0: That's really cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. And I think, um, you know, going off of that, um, you know, so describing a relationship hmm. as a dance makes a lot of sense because not every dance partner is going to be in step with you. Um, it might not necessarily always work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, um, absolutely. And yeah. your opinion, yeah. in your opinion, does a relationship, especially romantic relationships, um, do they still hold the same meaning, structure, and importance as they do as they did perhaps decades ago? I'm talking about it from the neurophysiology first.
1: I think we are definitely wired for relationships. That is just a very organic thing because we are born and we are born in a relationship. You're born to a mother, you're not born just out of nowhere. So the first connections we have will always be relational. It will always be attachment based. So if you're talking about, do we need an attachment figure in our life romantically? Because a romantic partner actually fills in the attachment figures of the past. I mean, this is just extra knowledge, right? So do we need that? We do, it's just a constant thing that we all do. But the interesting part of your question is the meaning part of it, because I think that's the one that's evolving for people. And meaning is like a social agreement, right? Let's say I have a really, I, I, there's this guy I was with two dates, and then I talk to people and I say, well, I think that was just a fling. Now, if 10 people agree that that was just a fling then it becomes a meaning it's a very cognitive process it's that okay i think this is that and then everybody agrees it gives you some assurance that okay this is it you know and then it becomes a social agreement that okay um this is what it is so i think that's the one that has shifted very much so and also because of technology Uh, just the options have increased. It's as if you're like, you can get people on order almost, right? Thanks to the swiping thing. Uh, I'm not going to comment on like, you know, negative or positive, but it's really interesting uh, to to observe that because of that availability, the meaning has changed. It's Mm -hmm. almost like people are so easily available. Time is so little and okay. You can just get what you want from this and then walk away. So that has shifted because of a lot of things and the structure has shifted. But if we are really, and as long as we are organic, like we are in our natural body, our wiring is attachment based. So sometimes there can be a disconnect there between what's actually going on versus the meaning we are prescribing to it, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does it land yeah, for you? No, yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I guess I I would love to like focus on that but our episode is about possessiveness yes. specifically there's so much to unpack there yes. um totally. but I guess moving on to um our topic for today what mm-hmm. is possessiveness how do you define possessiveness yeah
1: I think if we are I mean I'm It's a symptom, if you like, you know, and I think I'm a therapist because I work with trauma, like I, you know, you've already introduced it. I think it's important to be able to look a little bit deeper than symptoms if we really are uh, wanting to um, have a healthier, a more holistic understanding of basically uh, possessiveness. Uh, And I see it as a very deep fear of loss uh, when, uh, when we are behaving in that way. And that's not something new, actually, like a lot of us, all of us, not a lot of us. We all have that fear of abandonment, naturally, like I said, because we are wired for relationship. But in some people, it just becomes uh, a lot greater, a lot more Mm -hmm. sensitized to that fear. And then what shows up after that is uh, possessiveness. That's how I would think about it. Is that your cat? Are you able to sing? Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, damn, oh him. I love <laughs> He's it. He's usually not this cheeky.
0: <laughs> so he, he wants to, to be he wants to be a star. I love it. Um, so I guess how then does possessiveness affect, you know, a romantic relationship or various romantic relationships?
1: Yeah, I think um it, it can very much. Usually what I notice, like when, when people who are in a possessive dynamic, uh, it actually can kind of affect your sense of self. Mm-hmm. And people who are like in it and not aware of it, it's already like I, I need to kind of justify my existence almost, you know, for, for the other partner. It's like everything I do needs to be, I have to answer for everything that I do. I have to, you know, explain to you why I didn't text you back with like 10 paragraphs to satisfy. So I think that if that dynamics maintained, that means that this justification continues. This means that the other person doesn't develop a sense of self that is healthy. Mm-hmm. And I think it affects the other partner too. Typically, when it comes to possessiveness, it's never about one person being possessive and the other is... A, uh, there's no nothing there. It's usually like a cycle, like a loop, the way we describe relationship, right? It's very much a movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think impacting sense of self is a big one. You can totally uh, spend a lot of your time in your life and productive years of your life justifying in a relationship as to why you needed to do things and Yeah. I think that, that is one of the biggest challenge in a possessive relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it would prime people on the receiving end of that for quite a bit of anxiety. I mean, not just within the relationship, but beyond mm-hmm. it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you just kind of, you're right. I think it just adds to uh, the nervousness of things, right, as to what did I do wrong, mm-hmm. what did I not do right, how did I not answer this person. So it's a preoccupation. Mm -hmm. with the relationship that can also take away from other more um, meaningful things in your life. I think that's another thing to think about that because we're so preoccupied in relationship. The relationship doesn't allow you and give you freedom and space to flourish in all the other areas of your life. So that becomes your main uh, anxious preoccupation. Yeah, Yeah. and depends on severity too, obviously. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess... We'll we'll talk a bit about like severity and the spectrum of that later. But I guess to begin, why do people get possessive in relationships? Is there personal, yeah. ex- is, is there a specific kind yeah. of, is it personal experience from previous relationships? Or could it be from observing yeah. other people's failed relationships? Or is there just a natural tendency to be that way? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it goes back to the, this uh, the abandonment part of it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, all of us have it. So we all do things to stay connected. We'll check in, we will call, we will text to know, are you there, you know, talking to me, are you still available for me? But in a, a great deal of people actually, it's very sensitized. And because like I do somatic too, so that, that actually becomes clear when you're, you know, watching how it affects their body. Uh, how the sense of, okay, the person not answering a call, how does that actually affect uh, how they feel is a very big distress. And it's a very, very real distress as well. So, uh, and why does it happen? I think a lot of it can be traced back into di- family dynamics and how a child interprets those dynamics. So a lot of family dynamics, unfortunately, you know, uh, it's very prime towards leaving someone to feel easily abandoned. Let's say if you do something small, I don't talk to you. So for a child, it's a great deal of distress when, uh, you know, a parent is not talking to you because that really leaves you alone and you're dependent, like you need them for so many things, especially if you're a young one. So that actually leaves that feeling of, oh my gosh, even if I do this minor thing, uh, it's all, uh, I'm going to be left behind. And for a child, it's a very big distress. So I think it carries on into adulthood until we become aware. That's why talks like this are so important because this kind of raises the awareness on the thing. But uh, yeah, so after this dynamics, this punitive or I won't talk to you or if you do this a little bit wrong, I'm not going to, you know, uh, mind you or I'll punish you even, you know. So these things actually uh, carry through into adulthood. Then it gets repeated in an adult relationship.
0: Um, Now, how... Destructive can possessiveness in a romantic relationship be, and is there like a spectrum of severity? Uh, how it
1: actually can go from like simple and easy, like I said. And I think most of the time when it's worked out quickly is because the other party is more aware of it, and that's how it actually becomes that you navigate it better. But if there is no awareness and it continues for a long time, then yes, it can actually. Anxiety, you brought it up very nicely earlier, and it can become very extreme anxiety. And the, I think the, the key part is affecting the sense of self. And why I keep repeat that is because once we don't have a very good self-concept, then there's a lot of outcome that can come out from a relationship like that. That means that you stop being productive, you stop uh, you know, liking yourself, you stop doing things you enjoy you stop finding motivation and you start to turn inwards is kind of one way to describe it. So a lot of the blame goes that, okay, this must be me. And then that really can really make a person, uh, it takes a long, quite a while to recover from something like that. Yeah. To be able Mm -hmm. to kind of reclaim uh, that part of your life. So there is a severity and I think the key is actually awareness. When you catch it early, you create a different loop in that relationship, you speak differently, or you get help, then it's great. But if it continues a long time, then yes, recovery does take time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm assuming that kind of the worst instances of possessiveness can kind of lend to more like abuse and abusive behaviors as well.
1: Yeah yeah exactly emotional abuse and then it kind of moves into yeah it can get there you're right or even physically it just gets normalized right more and more control gets normalized Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other person's power diminishes and and that's uh, and when your power diminishes means abuse happens whether it's emotional verbal or even physical or even sexual sometimes so i think Mm -hmm. that yeah the, the 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 key part to think of is the disempowerment of a person. And once it's disempowered, it can actually go all the way to abuse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably yeah. the heart of it. The disempowerment of another human being is a big challenge in a possessive relationship that can be normalized, like you said. So we need to raise up the awareness to empower people to be a lot more present, a lot more aware and more communicative. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess if a person is possessive in one relationship, does that mean they will continue to be possessive in other relationships as well? Yeah, there is a greater chance that it
1: repeats. So you find people who Mm -hmm. kind of goes into that same relational dynamics with you. So that is uh, very, very possible. Uh, However, there are also good chances that you meet somebody different. And then that that is uh, what we call like, we call it like a corrective experience. So that means you have a very different uh, experience from the norm. Someone is more able to reflect and say, this is actually not okay for me. Or it could even be a coworker and you know, someone outside of your romantic partnership could actually be a mirror to, to, to just show you that, you know, this uh, is uh, not okay with a person. And this actually is not even okay for you to continue to be in a cycle like this because it's not a collaborative space. It's a space where you're dominating, where you're controlling. You know? and, mm-hmm. and control, I think it goes both ways. Yeah, I mean, it's a very theoretical explanation. I'm not going to go into it, but it's, it's actually like that. There's a more overt control. and a I would love to control. hear the theory. Would you? <laughs> I would love to hear the theory. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Give it at me.
1: <laughs> I'll give you a simple version. There's something called overt control, and there's another thing called covert control. So the the partner who is doing, who is more possessive, who is like checking on you, who is very upset when you are not, uh, you know, replying. That's overt control because it's very evident. There's like the the force that you put on somebody is very evident because you're texting them, you're calling them, you're doing all kinds of things. You're getting angry, so it shows. But the other person typically has a covert control over you too. If you're doing that, means that they can actually uh, withdraw they can actually uh, 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 cry, they can actually show a certain kind of behavior, then that makes you feel bad. And then you get back to apologizing to them. Uh, But then it again gets repeated, basically. So it's also, Mm -hmm. and and the other person is also typically trying to get their need for connection met by uh, being very available for you as well. So even if they take away a little bit next time, it's going to affect you too. But this is not very clear because they don't react in a very big way. They just know how to take a little bit of control back by reducing the dose, if you like. So that's a very covert control that most people can't... It's not easy to to, to look out for. But it's it's, it's a loop. That's why it's a dance, right? It's a a whole big circle, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Like... I'm thinking off the top of my head, like guilt tripping um, and like bargaining and that kind of thing can absolutely be a covert kind of method of controlling another person. Like yeah. it just seems like a normal thing that you would do, but I, I feel like some people might just do it unintentionally as well. Do you do you find that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I largely do not believe this.
1: These things are intentional. There are occasions, of course, where it's really it is, but largely, I I, I really think it's it's a so. You're so in the dance, you're so in the movement, you don't realize what you're doing until it gets pointed out or something big really happens. Like someone really, really like blows a big uh, uh, emotional reaction or something happens and then you pay attention to it. But typically it's really just a movement. Relationships are very subtle, I think.
0: Um, So I guess honing in on that trusting loop that you were talking about, what Mm. are three good things you would say about this practice?
1: Uh, I think what it happens is we allow a, a, a couple to move away from a dynamic of mistrust uh, into trust. That would be one, uh, that top of the mind. Second is is an opportunity to actually focus on feelings and emotions, something that I think uh, we talk about, but we don't necessarily uh, can identify them correctly. Uh, but when we practice this, it actually tunes us inward, tunes us into what we actually feel. And third is it just goes back to changing up communication. Communication skills, using the right words, is always important in relationship. Uh, and it's always important because then what you transfer across feels safer.
0: Yeah, it becomes a safer <clears throat> dynamic altogether. mm Absolutely. Now, I'm assuming, you know, this is not necessarily going to be easy for every couple, especially if they don't have a practice of communication to start with. But, you know, what are the challenges um, that people might come across in implementing this? Yeah, I think the first thing is
1: that, you know, the, the triggers of this is it's very quick. So when it happens, you don't always you can't always catch yourself on time just because, like I said, we live very busy lives anyway, right? so that really doesn't help, too. You can't slow down, reflect all the time. You're just moving. So that would be the greatest challenge is to really understand that. And I think when, when that happens, at least you can look back and give yourself a little bit of a grace there to say that, you know, I actually had these very big feelings about my partner, and then I kind of texted them continuously. Uh and then find ways to to repair that later but i think that will be the biggest challenge the trigger just happens really really fast you know the the running joke is always we think we are very logical and clever but i think once we understand how our nervous system and body works we realize that oh we're actually far more impulse driven so yeah it's a fun part of
0: being a person But. I have found that humans can be very, very driven by emotions and lack of logic <laughs> rather than anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. How how do how can a couple implement this practice? You know, is there like a certain mm-hmm. time, or is it has to be done at certain intervals? What how should they go about it? Yeah, I mean if. A couple is already aware of this dynamics
1: then like i said a well, very easy resource to just look up right after this is that feelings wheel and i think as soon as people look at it just having so many feelings very beautifully put out visually for you is actually really really helpful because it can capture a lot of nuance that you can miss uh, in in your day-to-day life so just looking at it identifying three is good a good enough number three things that you are feeling in your relationship. One, two, three. And that can be your talking point. You know, that's first. And another thing that works for, we, we use this in, in couples therapy. Is, it's good to have an experience with a therapist, actually, because it actually gives you a trial. And we actually ask people to learn to breathe and take a time out, you know, because your triggers are a lot. Our triggers are plenty. So if you can at least even go, okay, I, I just need a, a stop here. I can't continue, it's too much for me. Give yourself a break. Learn to breathe. Breathing exercises are everywhere now. And then come back and continue the conversation. I think, yeah, treating relationship as less than fragile is a very good mindset to have. Because too much, uh, a lot of us feel very fragile in relationships but if we can have it top of mind that I don't wish for a relationship to be fragile, then it's, it's a good mindset shift to have just generally. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And then the feelings
1: wheel, and then a timeout, those are good starters, good starters. for I think
0: any couple who's become
1: aware of this dynamic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel like um, this practice impacts your relationship or your perception in life? Yeah, I think moving
1: from, you know, mistrust to trust is a big gift. Aditi, that's my view, because like I said, all of of us, yeah, all of us, I would think, with very few exceptions, (laughs) the lucky people, (laughs) is we we are uh, very used to uh, a mistrust dynamics. Uh, We can see it play out currently everywhere in the news as well, right? I mean, that's what it is. It is a very deep mistrust dynamics in people's ability to really care for us uh, and to, to be safe. So I think that it, it's a very big uh, thing to move from mistrust into trust. And if you, and, and a romantic relationship is such a great space to practice. It's such a great space to change your attachment dynamics because it is like a new, you get a new opportunity to train and retrain your brain, your neural pathway, your sense of safety, and that is very life-changing. I've seen people transform in my work, so I'm saying it a bit more confidently here, because it's happened, and uh, it's a great thing to watch, to to live uh, in this world in a way where you feel safer, you feel trusting, and then you can develop really safer bonds with not just romantic, but anybody really, co-workers, business partners, friends,
0: etc., yeah yeah that's such a beautiful answer <laughs> to that question absolutely um would you recommend this practice to everyone you know who might be in a with have a partner with a possessive relationship have a partner who is possessive rather um because i know earlier we discussed things like you know abuse and power imbalances you know yeah per- is this perhaps not the best route for them to take yeah good good point i think
1: if there is abuse, then uh, it is important to keep safe first, right? That would be the goal, I think, of any abusive relationship, especially if it's very all abusive relationships. Just people just wake up to it when it's very extreme, unfortunately. But keeping safe is the first thing, is to move away from that uh, relation, that, at least physically first. You know, and I'm saying that this might be a cultural nuance here as well, that uh, we feel very strong feelings in an abusive relationship as well. So I'm very mindful of that as a therapist, and the encouragement is never to do a, a relational cutoff, but at least a physical safety first, you know, to keep yourself safe. If you have children, let's say this is a marriage, to keep yourself safe first and exist in a healthier support system first. And then working through an abusive relationship, there are various uh, options. here. of what it really depends on the severity. It really depends on the willingness of the other partner, on the support system, on families if it's an Asian culture, or on like family services in, in a country like Australia, for example, uh, that is available to you to work it through. So that the realistic answer is, like, you know, people say cut off or it's abusive, cut off. We are wired differently. We are wired for love. That's a book, actually, I'm reading. You know, we we can't suddenly go, oh, cut off. I don't care about you tomorrow because you're abusive. But priority should be to keep yourself safe physically first. And then after that, uh, have a better assessment of that relationship. I think we need a lot of support for this one, for the next step of Mm -hmm. this one. Mm -hmm. But yeah, couples who are just aware of it and willing to work through it, this trusting loop is a great tool the ones who are at a lower severity and who are aware of the situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Did I answer you? Yeah, No, you that was on. a great answer. That was fantastic. Um, and I think that distinction between physical safety and cutting someone off is, a, is an important one to make because just because you're physically yeah. removed from a relationship doesn't necessarily mean they're completely gone from your life um, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Based on your experience, do you have any recommendations of a practice or habit that can be used in tandem to improve um, the trusting loop or build upon it?
1: Uh, um, I think the, it, for, for self-care, I think it's under, understand, um, understanding that this is like coming from a space where you feel abandoned, where you are actually experiencing a fear of loss, And having some tools to care for that sensation can be very useful. Uh, You know, knowing that, "Mm, okay, I think if my partner is not available, let's say you're trying a communication, the other person's not on it. They are in a totally different space or they're having other, like life is full of things, right? They're having other stressors, other things going on for them. You can't always get that. Then how can you actually take care of yourself? You know, so identifying awareness is always key, knowing that, okay, I'm having this trigger, what can I do? <clears throat> so Somatic tools are great in my view because you have a body contact with yourself. You learn how to take care of yourself physically and that sends a very strong signal to yourself that you are safe. You know, like we uh, earlier did the butterfly hug, just holding yourself there. And being with yourself and saying, you know, I can care for myself right now. I'm able to, although my partner is not available. These are just extra tools, right? Of course, the recommendation to live a truly healthier relational life is to commit to therapy. I would personally suggest that because, like I said, enjoying a relationship is a gift, right? It's good to to be able to have a good, safe, happier existence. So that would be a good long-term commitment, of course, if the person is in a space to do that
0: yeah absolutely absolutely Mm. Uh, that brings us to the end of our experiment debrief um and hopefully our viewers our listeners audience will have a lot to take away from that um especially if they're going through this experience themselves uh but we do have some questions from our audience um for you um i've picked three um that i found kind of interesting um The first one is how do I tell my spouse he's being possessive without offending him? Hmm. Right. I think it's starting with
1: feelings is very, very safe because again, what tends to happen when we are in a situation is we go, you are doing this and you are making me uncomfortable. And there may be some truth in it. I don't want to discount that, but it really, uh, it, it, moves people into defense. So in a relationship dynamic once defenses are up there's no success there. There is zero success when defenses are up. So it's always thinking about safer because when it's safer defenses are low. When defenses are low the the more logical side of your brain we call it prefrontal cortex uh, in in uh, generally speaking it's more active. It's more ready and available to take in information and to digest and to process and hopefully land in a slightly better outcome. So how do you do that? Is you go straight for the feelings because feelings actually gets people's attention. You're speaking to their, the more primal side of their brain, and that's useful. That's a useful place to start because that's the one that is anyways more on alert. That's the one where you know, you said earlier, we are driven by emotions. I said impulses. That's actually your limbic, your more primal side of the brain. So if you go for feelings, you actually are talking to that first, so to speak, and say, you know, I feel this way because that person is always interested in how their partner feels about them because it's important that we feel connected. So if you say, I feel this when you do this, uh, this really doesn't put a good uh, you know, feeling for me. It doesn't make me feel that I want to be a good partner. I'm also reactive. This is an issue uh what what do we do like the other second part is like ask the other person to offer some solutions too and i say that because then they're thinking they're moving from our primal brain to our so called more clever brain like more logical analytical information processing and that's a good that's recovery actually when we move from primal and we are able to sit and process we're actually moving into recovery yeah small steps but it's a good step it's a good direction
0: Yeah, I feel like that advice is really applicable to so many different aspects and so many different issues within a relationship as well. Like if you just don't accuse the partner and kind of move into just firstly just focusing on how it affects you as opposed to what their actions, I feel like that reframing can help in so many different ways across so many different issues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Next question. Um, This was a really interestingly worded one, Um, so I'm Mm -hmm. not sure how you're going to take it. Is being possessive in a relationship insanity? What is the limit that one should not cross? One should not cross. Is it insanity? Is yes. that the word? In- insanity, that's, that's the word that was <laughs> yeah. used. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this
1: uh, activates my no-label side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it depends how you define insanity. Like the severity can be so intense in some dynamics. It does feel like someone's going crazy here, for sure. You know, I mean, I'm losing, using these words loosely, not clinically, yeah. uh, you know, because it can. Like, even for I ha- growing up as a young person, I've watched people in relationships. I always consider myself a bit more perceptive. I'm more like obs- obs- observing kind of a person. But I've watched people in dynamics where you are looking at them and it feels like insanity. It feels like, you know, something here is not okay. But this is me talking as a, as a viewer of it. I'm I'm not in the situation, Uh, but yeah, within, when you are in it, because, you know, dynamic is, it goes straight for your primal brain, it can feel normal to those who are in it, you see, so it really depends who is talking. As an observer, yes, it could look quite, uh, quite severe, but for the people in it, it's, oh, this is very comfortable, this is like home. Mm -hmm.
0: So it really (laughs) depends where your viewpoint is. I would actually answer it like that. Yeah. I feel like I feel like the term insanity is is, is so strong as well. Like yeah. I don't I don't know if that's um I mean relationship issues perhaps that's how I would describe possessiveness, but not not insanity, yeah. that's a little different. Um next question, um, and we touched on this a little bit already. Um, how can you extract yourself from a possessive relationship in a safe manner?
1: Mm, okay.
0: How can you do it in a safe? it's It actually goes back to
1: that. Like if you go straight for the feelings, you diffuse defences first. That is the safest way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you need to extract yourself physically, then that is what you communicate next. And basically say, uh, "I'm not feeling very safe here with you, and I need to and uh, isolate myself, move away somewhere, uh, you know, where I feel safer, and then we can work things through later." something like that so it really depends this is very situational but when it comes to possessive relationship or like you said even in any dynamics it is always the goal is always safety and diffusing defenses because you want to do it yeah you do it safely so it 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 doesn't escalate it actually brings it down where we can move into problem solving
0: yeah absolutely yeah for sure um focusing on solving a problem as opposed to you know uh, that kind any anything else or starting a fight is really important okay that brings us to the end of our questions from the audience um i'm sure they're really grateful to have received your advice on that and anyone who didn't send in a question you know they might have felt the same way and wanted to ask the same thing so thank you for that um we're moving on to our final segment off the show, which is our open mic, in which I give you the opportunity to just talk about anything that you're passionate about, perhaps something we haven't addressed yet, or um, something that you're working on um, for a little while, and I sit back and just listen. <laughs> so what did you want to talk about?
1: Okay, I think I, I um, after this whole conversation, I think it's, it's, it's useful for me to address um, some of the uh, the topic of the blogs that I've been writing, because it's actually very connected. It talks about relationships in general. It talks about uh, sexual connection in general as well. Uh, and also, how do we recover intimacy in relationships so that it doesn't feel very fragile? So interestingly, these are topics that I feel are uh, it's very relevant to the times we are living in. And uh, the, the goal is always to be able to increase trust and safety in relationship and this is really a skill and this is really a process and a good place to start for this process is first is recognizing how the how our self-protective mechanism kicks in our body when we are in a relationship when we are in a trigger when we are going through a big uh, challenge in a relationship what happens to us and then what are the steps we can take to first take care of our neurobiology first because that really helps us to actually move into problem solving so these are all actually captured in quite a number of my blogs and i would really encourage people to read if this is an area of interest for sure so that uh we can actually together build uh yeah more um the, the sense of trusting relationship a sense of knowing that we can recover and we can actually enjoy the relationships that are around us romantic or others so that would be a few short notes, I think, at the end. That also ties very nicely to our talk. So, yep, I would encourage people to read it, talk about it, uh, and yeah, have discussions about it amongst friends and groups too. So you are actually uh, processing these things in groups and the conversations on relationships are less maybe about very quick labels and more about capturing nuances in relationship. Very, very important to, to recover this area of our life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what you said about talking about these things in groups is so important because then you don't feel so lonely when you're trying to process all this stuff, you know. Exactly. Mm. Um, For people who are now rushing to find your blog, (laughs) blog, where can they find you?
1: Okay, for now they're all on Medium. So if you type my name, Deepika Mulchandani Medium, you should go there straight away or the other resources where there is also a free relationship assessment actually and a free sexual wellness assessment that's on my site, resource site. It's it's on the openconnections.podia, P-O-D-I-A. And all the assessments are there, the relationship guides are also there and the access to the blog can also be from that. So that's actually a bit of a hyperlink for all the others and i'd encourage people maybe to go there straight first the openconnections.podia and all of that is over there
0: absolutely and people who for people who want to learn more about you is is there is that the only place they should access or are there others are you on social media where can people find you
1: yeah social media at dipika mulchandani which is my full name uh, a lot of resources are there a lot of the links are also there the openconnections.com is the clinic website So there are information there too. And Podia is the resource page. So these three things will be a good place to find out all about me. Or LinkedIn, Deepika Mulchandani.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Well, Deepika, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, you're most welcome. It was very nice talking to you too.
0: Absolutely. Right. You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Lab. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kutti. Thanks for tuning in.